you'll want to get out your sermon outline. We are going through Proverbs this summer, and uh, this week's topic is friendship. So you want to have that so you can follow along. We're going to be looking at a number of uh, Proverbs, and uh, so we're going to talk about those as we go through there. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word and we need it. We think that we're people who have good friends and that we're people who are good friends. And sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't. Please use your word this morning to get us to consider your wisdom. Help us to ask how we can better choose our friends and how we can become better friends. So we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would make us people who value our friends just as much as Jesus did. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. One of the things that Joanne and I like to do, she's not here today, she's driving back from Massachusetts, so pray she gets back safe. Um, one of the things we like to do is take walks. And uh, uh, we don't do it near often enough, but we enjoy it uh, when we do. And sometimes we're just walking the dog, and the dog is a great excuse to take walks. Um, and sometimes we walk for exercise, and sometimes, like when we're at the beach, uh, we walk on the beach, but we're really people watching. Um, but most of all, we walk just to talk and spend time together. And walking and talking seem to go together. Uh, and it really doesn't matter if you're walking in the neighborhood or uh, city park or at the beach. And over the years, I've learned uh, that during these walks, it's really not the exercise that's paramount, don't tell my doctor, um, nor is the destination important, but it's the relational value of the time spent together. So when people say, let's go for a walk, they're actually using a familiar code, inviting you into this relational realm of life. Now, many people carry fond memories of going on walks that prove to be, uh, to develop relationships, to deepen relationships. Sometimes a conflict can be resolved on a walk. Sometimes a commitment is made, and those kind of walks are never forgotten. And the book of Proverbs talks about relational walks, but not the kind that lasts for a few minutes or even for a few hours. When Proverbs speaks of walking with friends, it's referring to the kind of walks we enjoy with a few companions over the course of a lifetime. Many, many years. The, the idea of your relationship with another person over time is walking with friends. So it has a little bit different meaning. And, you know, if you think about it, lots of us have lots of friends. Um, lots of us think we have lots of friends. Facebook deludes us into thinking. This morning I had 1,106 friends. I think I know six of them. Um, uh, I have 1,106 acquaintances. Actually, some of them are friends, you know, like some are in my family and I know them. Um, but we have lots of casual friends, acquaintances, work associates, who for the most part pass in and out of our lives. And uh, if you've been blessed, you'll develop a few close friends who will become increasingly important to you as the years go by. 
And over time, these close friends become part of your life, and you become part of theirs. And beyond our families, uh, these people become the VIPs of our relational world. And the Bible applauds that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This passage and many others suggest that we ought to be building sort of small groups or you could say little teams of people whom we can walk through life with. People who help us get up when we fall. People who help us try again when we fail. Who encourage us when we're discouraged. Who help bear our burdens when it gets too heavy. Who comfort us when we're sad or grieving. And who strengthen us to face the inevitable trials and temptations that come our way. Uh, As I said earlier this summer, we're looking at the subject of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And in the Bible, wisdom is certainly not less than being moral and good, but it's much more. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in the vast majority of situations where we don't know how the moral rules apply. If you're not sure what's right and wrong, how do you act? How do you decide? And that's where wisdom comes in. The vast majority of your decisions, you'll have different choices in front of you. And in a lot of cases, no matter what your understanding of morality is, uh, there's going to be multiple options that are ethically allowable. So which is the wise one? And wisdom is the ability to know the right thing to do in the situation that the moral rules don't address. Now the theme today, friendship, is a crucial one in the book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs says you're not going to be a wise person. You are not going to lead a wise life unless you're great at choosing, developing, and keeping close friends. It's basically telling us that you're not going to make it in life unless you're really, really good at choosing, keeping, developing close friends. Proverbs offers us words of wisdom, words of counsel, words of warning about walking through life with other people. And our primary verse for today is Proverbs 13, verse 20. 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Yes, we all want to walk closely with a few friends, But the writer of Proverbs is saying we need to be very careful about who we choose as our friends. Simply put, wise friends make us wise, and foolish friends make us foolish. So he has some things to say about this crucial topic of friendship. First of all, I think we need to ask, why do we need friends? Why do we need friends? First blank there, I hope. Um, I did all that very late last night, so... I uh, have to catch up. So we're looking at this necessity for friendship. Let's look at these two uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then Proverbs 18, 24, A man of many companions may come to ruin, 
that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you believe that? There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you know what that's saying? A friend can be better than a sibling. I know some of you kids are like, oh, I know that. You know, it's a little different when you get older. I don't have a brother, I have a sister. And uh, for years, you know, she was my big sister and I was her little brother, except she's smaller than me now. And so she still calls me her little brother, but now I call her my older sister. And she's really not a fan of that, which is probably why I do it. Um, but it says a friend can be better than a sibling. You have to realize this is being said in a culture that's far more family-oriented than ours. Far more family-oriented than ours. Why would that be? Why would a friend be better than a sibling? Look again at Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Here's what I think that's saying. The people you're related to by blood, your family, they're going to be there for you in adversity because they're family. They care, they're loyal, there's memory, they're going to be there for you. But they may not like you. They may not want to go out with you. You're not the person that they want to hang out with. A friend, however, is someone who has chosen you. The word sticks is, and there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's a Hebrew word, it's often translated as cleave. And of course, we know that word primarily from Genesis, where it says husband and wife will cleave together. It's the same word here. It means this commitment out of love. A friend is better in many ways than a sibling. It's trying to say there's a unique necessity to friendship. Friendship brings something into your life that family can't bring, that romance can't bring, that neighbors can't bring, that nobody else can bring. And you have to remember that because every culture, everywhere, it tries to put friendship in the back seat. And yet Proverbs is telling us it's irreplaceable. You know, a liberal individualistic culture like ours always puts erotic love, romantic love, sexual love first. Just take a look at our culture. You go in the grocery store and they have all those glossy magazines in the checkout line. You know, what's on the cover? You know, is it who is best friends with whom? No. It's who's sleeping with whom. Why would you care about who's best friends with whom? But sleeping with, oh, I want to know that. I mean, you want to know. I don't know why, but apparently it sells magazines. Or how about music? You know, let's take all the CDs with songs about romance and love. And they would fill the stage. And then over here, we'll put all the songs about friendship. It's just one good song, Michael W. Smith. That's it. That's all you got. About movies. I mean, there's a whole genre of movies called romantic comedies. And even the action-adventure movies, you know, they always have the obligatory love interest. You know, Sam and I saw the new Mission Impossible movie the other night, and yes, there's a romantic love interest who can beat up just about everybody on the planet, with the exception, of course, of Tom Cruise. 
In fact, as I was thinking about this, the only like real blockbuster set of movies that I could think of that's ever been made that's not about romance or family is about friendship is The Lord of the Rings. The beauty of friendship is the main theme of the story. And yet there's some minor romantic parts to it. And here's where the movies and the books differ. If you read the books, the romantic stuff is in the appendixes. It's in the appendixes. But for Hollywood, they yanked it out of the appendix and put it front and center. You know, Aragorn and Arwen. The love affair has to be in the center. But it's not in the books. Why? Because our culture isn't excited by friendship. It's not the most important thing. But to Tolkien, that's what the book was about. But in a liberal individualistic culture, romance is more important. In a traditional conservative culture, family is more important. In a socialistic, communitarian a culture, I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. It's your civic relationships, you know, work, neighbors. Every culture puts friendship in the back seat because friendship, the culture says, isn't necessary. It's not biologically necessary. It's not sociological. It's the only love that is absolutely deliberate. It won't push itself upon you. C.S. Lewis has a great essay on friendship. It's in his book called The Four Loves. And he says, friendship is the least instinctive, organic, biological, or necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves. There's nothing throaty about it. Nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. Yeah, I can say that because C.S. Lewis said that, and you know, he's good. So, you know, what that means, of course, if it's not for romantic love, you wouldn't exist. And if it wasn't for family love, there'd been nobody to raise you. If it's not for neighbor love, you know, you wouldn't survive crime and oppression and that sort of thing. So in a busy culture like ours, in an incredibly busy culture like ours, where we work long hours and we're traveling all the time, all the other loves, all the other relationships push themselves upon you. You still have to deal with your family. You still have to deal with uh, your civic relationships. You still have that vocational networking in order to have a job. You still want to have romance, but friendship, friendship takes incredibly deliberate amounts of intentionally spent time over a long period of time, and so it always gets squeezed out. And yet the book of Proverbs is saying, you won't make it without friends. I mean, we're talking about a family-oriented, traditional culture here that says a friend is better than a sibling and brings things into your life a sibling can't. And the book of Proverbs continually tells us that fools perish for lack of good friends or perish for poorly chosen friends. You know, our culture, we all walk around saying, you know, I get to choose to be whatever I want to be. That's not entirely correct. For the most part, you're not who you choose to be. In the early stages of your life, you're whatever your family made you. The rest of your life, you're what your friends made you. Um, it's your community that forms you and shapes you. 
in the early days family, later on friends and community. And the book of Proverbs says you perish for lack of friends. So what do we do? How do we get friends? How do we get the right friends? How do we discover friends? How to choose friends? How to choose friends? Look again at our theme verse this morning, Proverbs 13:20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And according to this proverb, we're deeply connected to our close friends, more than we think although we tend to view ourselves as independent people, we're actually joined to our close friends, something akin to a permeable membrane, those ultra-thin walls uh, through which tiny particles can pass back and forth. And what passes between close friends are values, convictions, morals, habits, goals, pass back and forth, whether we realize it or not. So despite our illusions of being independent and being an individual, we end up being deeply affected by either the wisdom or the foolishness of our friends. This means we can enhance our ability to grow in wisdom by choosing wise people to be friends with. If you want to develop sound judgment, we should choose people known for making wise decisions. If we want to strengthen our convictions, we should choose friends who stand up for what they believe. If we want to be kind, we should spend more time with those who treat others with uh, grace and gentleness. If we want to walk more closely with God, we should put ourselves under the influence of people who make spiritual disciplines a priority. But the opposite is also true. Foolish friends can ruin us. Their folly seeps into our lives. It taints our goals and desires. Their poor moral compass can steer us off course. The distortion of truth can undermine the understanding of God and his word. 1 Corinthians 15.33 cautions us, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And you know that's true. It's uncanny how many times people have made some really poor choices in life and they can trace it back to the choice they made to befriend a particular person. How many times have parents lamented something going on in a child's life by saying, you know, he got in with the wrong crowd? Or she put her trust in the wrong guy? We've all heard something like that. And when I hear these stories, of course, I think, but that's not me. You know, I'm different from them. I'm wiser than them. I'm the exception to the rule. You know, I've walked with God a long time long enough. I'm stable enough. I know the Bible well enough. I could spend time with that guy and be completely unaffected. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, do not be deceived, he was writing to me. And he was writing to you. And the reality is, is I have been deceived by people I trusted. I have been misled by people I thought were my friends. I've made bad decisions because I received bad counsel. And all those people I thought were my friends until they deceived me, until they betrayed me, until they hurt me, until I fell and they couldn't help me up because they were nowhere to be found. Please understand, I'm not talking about issues of personality or lifestyle or spiritual giftedness or uh, talents or career our close friends could be dramatically different from us in all those areas. 
What I'm talking about is the deeper issues of integrity and character. If we're committed to following God and growing uh, in these areas discussed in Proverbs, like wisdom and kindness and discipline, then we need to intentionally surround ourselves with people who exhibit those qualities. I've been in ministry for over two decades now. In that time, I've seen hundreds of people, spiritually-minded, well-meaning people, spend hundreds of hours searching for just the right doctor, just the right dentist, the right lawyer, the right accountant. But when it comes to friends, it's like, whatever. And yet, close personal friends are one of the keys to spiritual growth. They provide valuable counsel. Proverbs is telling you, be intentional about choosing friends, because for better or worse, they will change your life. They're also important. In my opinion, this is just me speaking now. Life loses a lot of meaning when it's not shared. I mean, what good is a birthday or graduation without family and friends to celebrate it? What good's a promotion without friends to rejoice with you? What good's a dining room, a dorm room, a front porch or back deck, a guest room, a cottage or a boat without friends to fill it? We're born to experience life in this small community of close friends. They add color to sort of the black and white events of daily life. Friends are also our support when tragedy strikes. They're the ones we cling to when the phone rings. As much as I hate to think about it, I know those calls are coming. And I don't want to be alone when they do. Again, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Of course, if you're out looking for friends, if you're trying to choose friends, or you're looking at the character qualities of others, that means probably that they're looking at you too. And why should they choose you? That means you need to think about how to become a friend. So let's switch it from them to you. Let's go to Proverbs 27. I've picked some verses out there. Verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verses 9 through 11. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. Verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Out of these verses, Book of Proverbs telling us there's three things that you have to do to be a friend, to become a true friend. You could call these the three marks of true friendship, you know, the three building blocks. Uh, It's fine either way. But if you don't have them, you're not going to make the friend list for others. You'll be permanently relegated to the status of acquaintance or associate. And here's what these three things are. Constancy, candor, and counsel. Constancy, candor, and counsel. Spend a little time, because they're important. For constancy, what do we mean by constancy? Let's look at those, the first two verses we looked at before. A friend loves at all times. What does that mean? Does that mean if you're friends, you spend all your time together? I don't think so, because, of course, we have Proverbs 
25.17, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. You know, you laugh when that's read, but you're like, that's, I know that's true, of course. So what does it mean when he says a friend loves at all times? It means all kinds of times. Good times, bad times, ordinary times, routine. You know, you can't be a friend without availability. You can't be a friend without constant ability. It's really what availability is. That's part of what constancy means. But it doesn't just mean being available. It means being there when the chips are down. That's what Proverbs 18.24 is really all about. Look carefully. Look at the contrast. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend who won't let you go to ruin. You know, most people know you and they want to know you because you're useful to them. Before you get all bent out of shape about that, I want to realize most of the people you know, you know because they're useful to you. Most of your companions, acquaintances, associates, most of the people you know, you know them because they're useful to you. Some of them are useful for having a good time. Some of them are useful for meeting other people. Some of them are useful for getting stuff done. You see, when the people who only know you because you're useful, when the chips are down, when you're starting to collapse, when it's going to take significant involvement to stay in a relationship with you, they're the ones who say, call me if you need anything. But a friend is already there. Because a friend has deliberately, intentionally made you not a means to an end, but an end in yourself. So the first thing is constancy. The next thing you have to do to be a true friend is candor. Candor, that's truth-telling. That's the willingness to be honest. Look here again at verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See what the metaphors are? They're deliberately vivid, and they're deliberately mixed up. You'd say they're paradoxical. Faithful wounds, kisses of an enemy. What's that? What are faithful wounds? Don't wounds normally come from the enemy, and kisses come from the friends? Not here. And the answer is that faithful wounds is a metaphor for the words your friend needs. They're going to be painful for them to hear, and yet they have to hear them. What if you're afraid to say what really needs to be said? Then you're not a true friend. Look at the parallelism here. It's Hebrew poetry. The second part of verse 5 talks about hidden love. It's saying this is a person who thinks they're loving by hiding the truth. This person is saying, I love that person too much to confront them. I love that person too much to tell them the truth. But look what it's parallel to in verse 6. Hiding, covering up the truth out of love in verse 5 is the same as the work of the enemy in verse 6. Because if you say, oh, I love this person too much to tell them the truth, what you really mean is I love myself too much to go through that. It's too difficult for me. And you're not being a true friend. 
A true friend has constancy. A true friend has candor. And last, the third mark would be counsel. Look at verse 9, Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The word earnest means from the heart. Counsel means secrets. It means to tell someone a secret, to confide in somebody. This is something only a really close friend can do, and Proverbs says you need it. You're never going to become the person you should be without it. And there's two aspects to it, sort of uh, uh, easy and hard. And the easy part is the sweetness. It's reassuring. It says it's sweet. Then look down at verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So if you have friendship where there's real intimacy, and there's sharing from the heart, and there's transparency, and you're letting one another see to the, all the way to the bottom, and you're talking about each other's issues, but if the counsel is always reassuring, it's always sweet, or if it's always challenging, it's always clashing. There's some kind of emotional exploitation going on. Somebody's using somebody. Only if it goes back and forth and you're getting counsel that sharpens you, only if there's this kind of transparency, only if there's this kind of concern, only if there's that kind of wisdom, only if there's that kind of balance between the sweet and the sharpening, do you have a real friend and you become the person you should be. So there's your three marks, constancy, candor, counsel. That's what you have to be. Those are the character qualities you need to develop to be a friend. That's what's going to bring people into your life, because when they look at your life, they see wisdom. But perhaps you already have a lot of friends. Maybe you have too many friends and need to cut back. You can't keep up. Maybe you're realizing you're not as close to your friends as you should be. Maybe you don't know them as well as you thought. So what do you do with all those friends? Perhaps you need to know how to deepen friendships. How to deepen friendships. And this part is so easy and so hard. Because there could be a million answers here. And I'm going to give you three. Stuck on the number three today. So here's three things you need to do in order to deepen the friendships you already have. You ready? Talk, listen, eat. Simple, right? Talk, listen, eat. Talk together. Most friendships begin when one person goes up to another person and starts talking to them. Face to face. So don't wait for them to come to you. Call them, visit them, somehow get together, face to face encounter. And then talk. Ask questions. What's going on in your life? Where you been? What are you reading? What are you learning? What's on your bucket list? I had a new member class yesterday, and I'm all talked out. I got like four pages left. Maybe you're no good at that talking thing. You know, you're quiet and introverted. Me too. Really. You know what? Join a community group. They're going to start up again this fall. Announcements will be going out this week. We'll have six or seven uh, groups. People go there, and they talk to each other. Who knew? But if you're not a talker, it's great, because you don't have to do all the talking. And you can get to know people slowly and more naturally. No pressure. It's an easy way to get started. Great way to get to know people. 
You'll be able to sign up for a group on the city. We'll get all that information out to you soon. Don't miss out. Second thing, listen together. Listen together. Close friends listen well. You know, most of us are eager to have the attention of others and to be heard. But James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listening is not mere passive Silence. We have to be active listeners. We have to pay attention with our eyes and our ears and our minds. What is this person communicating with his words, his tone, his expression, his body language? Too often, somebody's talking to us and our thoughts are a thousand miles away. You know, we're not really listening, but we're just formulating our reply. A listening ear is crucial to develop the kind of close friendship we're talking about. Because if you're not listening carefully, you just have simultaneous monologues. Talk, listen, eat together. You know, I joke, Presbyterians don't do anything without food. That's not an accident. You know, that's deliberate. And it's not just because I like food. More because you like food. But we multiply joys by sharing them. Don't ever over-spiritualize friendship. Two of its most important tools are a fork and a spoon. Or maybe chopsticks. You know, Jesus demonstrated this in his own ministry. Eating together communicates powerful messages of acceptance. When you invite others in for a meal, the vulnerability of opening our homes conveys acceptance and trust. It deepens our friendships. Talk, listen, eat. It's very easy, and it is oh so hard. So where are we going to get the power to be the friends we need to be so we can have the friends we need to have? I think the answer is found in Jesus' life. If you look to his last night, he's meeting with his disciples in the upper room, John 14 through 17. And he's trying to get across to his disciples because they were so smart and caught on right away to everything he said, which is not at all true. But he's trying to get across the meaning of what's about to happen, what he is about to do. And one of the things he says in order to explain what he's going to do when he dies is friendship. He says in John 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. When Jesus said that, suddenly the whole history of the world can be understood in terms of friendship. God is friendship. The Christian God, the biblical God is a friendship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing and loving one another. Therefore, he made us in his image, meaning we need friendship. You know, back in Genesis 3, it talks about how God came walking in the cool of the garden to talk to Adam and Eve. Walking with someone is the Hebrew metaphor for friendship. To walk with someone, to walk 
together through life is a metaphor for friendship. What that means is God made us for friendship. He made us for friendship with him. He made us for friendship with one another. But we turn from him. You know, when you betray a friend, what happens? That friend turns on you. But listen to what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate friend. I am the ultimate friend who loves at all times. I am the one born for adversity. I am the one who sticks closer than a brother. I am the ultimate friend who's going to cleave to you at infinite cost to myself so you will not be ruined. Here's how. I'm the ultimate friend whose wounds are the wounds of love because instead of inflicting them, I'm going to take them. The Bible says, blessed, faithful are the wounds of a friend. How much more blessed are they when they're not inflicted but received? Because Jesus Christ on the cross lost his friendship with God so we could have friendship with God. Jesus Christ on the cross experienced what we should have experienced so he could be the perfect friend. He lets you in and he never lets you down. How much more emotional connection do you want? His arms are nailed open wide for you. How much more open could they be? He's the ultimate friend. He lets you in and he never lets you down. From the Garden of Gethsemane, as he saw his best friends falling asleep on him, denying him, betraying him. The father comes and says, you know, you're going to have to die or you're going to lose your friends. And Jesus said, I'll die. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, so we're not ruined. There's a friend who suffers and dies, so we're not ruined. If you know that, it liberates you to be the friend you need to be. If I know that Jesus has let me in, let me all the way in, that he trusts me and he loves me no matter what, then I can move towards someone else without fear of rejection because I've already got Jesus. If I know that Jesus will never let me down, then I can move towards someone else without fear of being let down because all my eggs are not in the human friendship basket. When I'm liberated to be the great friend I ought to be, by the great friendship of Jesus Christ earned on the cross, then I find myself getting the friends I need to have, and so will you. Jesus Christ is breaking into the lives of all kinds of people, corporate and creative, black and white, street kid, rich kid, city, country, north and south. And suddenly, people that you would never give the time of day to but if you've experienced the grace of God through Jesus, you find people, and they're different in every other way, except you find out they love Jesus too. And you find out that just like you, Jesus saved them through an act of radical friendship. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, We think we've chosen our peers, but for a Christian there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies has been at work, Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I chose you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. We're about to have communion, Lord's Supper. And at this feast, it's he who spread the table. 
It's he who's chosen the guests. It is he who presides. It's his table. And to his table, he invites his friends. Make him the friend your heart desires. And then you'll have all the friends your heart needs. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son. Thank you, Father, for granting us the radical friendship that Jesus Christ gave to us on the cross when he led us all the way in and showed us that he'll never let us down. He became our friend so we can become the friends we need to be. And we thank you for the friends that we'll have. Friends with all sorts of people, people like us in that they love Jesus too, and yet so unlike us in almost every other way. Help us to truly be what you made us to be, friends walking together with you and with one another. This we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.